This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello. Hey, it's Justin, and you're listening to the G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. We're here for you with daily coverage of New Japan's G1 Climax 30. Day 10, in the books. We've made it. We're at the midway point. You've made it. We've all made it. Day 10, we made it to the double digits. And so, today we're in Hiroshima for two more block shows, starting with today's B-Block. Today's B-Block card. That's right. Nice food from Hiroshima. Very nice. Konomiyaki is good. Castella cake. What else? Oysters. I've never been, but I heard the food. I had the food. It's good. Very nice. Wonderful. All right. Today's card may rival yesterday's show, I think. I think it was as good in quality as yesterday's show in Takamatsu in terms of quality. So if you need something to watch, either or, I think we're around the same quality of shows. Let me run down the card today, the B-Block card. It started off with uh, Yuya Uemura and Yotsuji Young Lions going to 15-minute time limit draw. Hiroki Goto defeated... Toriano in 18 seconds. More on that very soon. Sanada defeated uh, Zack Sabre Jr. in a damn good match. I would call it a tournament highlight for sure. Evil defeated Juice Robinson. Tetsuya Naito defeated Yoshihashi in about 24-25 minutes in a great match. Um, Naito is actually now at the top of the B block with 8 points and Yoshihashi is actually at the bottom of the B block with Two points. And finally, today's main event saw Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace, submit Kenta with Texas Cloverhold. When is the last time we saw that? We were talking about that on the show, and I was thinking, when is the last time Tanahashi got a win with that? I don't know. If anybody can help, send a DM. He cried a lot afterwards, too. Tanahashi. He was crying a lot. He was very emotional. He cut a great promo afterwards. Um, great air guitar performance. Um, what made it more interesting for sure is that the hairstyle he chose last night it made him look like a buff Tina Turner. And I think that's really cool. So he's ace. That's who he is. That's cool. Okay, enough. You can find Carlos on Twitter at Carlos Toro 360 and on the Carlos Toro media channel on YouTube. And I'm on Twitter, Justin M. Nipper, at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. If you haven't already, please, if you can, donate to Jim Valley's GoFundMe that I talked about on yesterday's show. You can find info on that in yesterday's show notes. 
Okay. So on that note, let's get into B-Block action with Carlos. Hello, hello. We're back. Day 10. We're in the double digits, Carlos. We made it. Yep. We are officially halfway through the G1. So... And only day two of this really, really long week of G1 matches, six and seven days. So, oh boy, strap in because, well, the the shows was really, really good. I have to say in the five-ish matches that we had today. (laughs) Five-ish. Yeah, I would say this was one of my, one of my favorite shows of the G1 so far. Yeah, it was a great show. And uh, talking about, it's kind of interesting to think about, um, you know, we're halfway through the G1 right now, and it feels different from last year's just because of the length. You know, while these shows are really good, they don't feel that long either. And I think that's because they're good or vice versa. There's something there like these shows more or less fly by. There's not much BS. Um, the stories are in the ring and everybody's turning in awesome performances. Nobody's phoning it in or there's not a, like we were talking about it on yesterday's show. Like there's nobody like a Fale who's in the tournament for a specific reason to function and like sabotage matches or, you know, go after certain uh, characters that they're uh, in an angle with or something, yada, yada. But yeah, it's just, it's solid. There's a lot of uh, meat and potatoes. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. And no offense to all the eight man tag team matches from G one's past, but I kind of, miss i kind of don't miss it like at all like i wish this would be the standard moving forward i'd be cool with that i mean listen time like time and the way we're all watching tv you know all of us are working in different ways we all we all have different jobs and the way that we're things aren't completely different but we're just shifting a little bit and this shift I think benefits all fans, especially around the world, because New Japan, more so than a lot of other promotions, they're almost, of course, the number one market is Japan, but the international market is split among a lot of different time zones. It's not just the States, it's the UK and it's in Australia. That's that's a big pain to kind of um, always handle and try to you know be on time. And, and it's hard to make that work if you're doing four and a half hour shows. It's just humans. We don't have that much. Uh, there's only so much willpower in the human body. And uh, if you have tight shows that are two and a half hours, I think that's the sweet spot. I think that and I think NXT kind of uh, the takeovers really set that archetype, the two and a half hour uh, no nonsense template. I think that's. Yeah. And, hmm. Yeah. And even the WWE pay-per-views. Nowadays, the main roster ones are about two and a half, three hours long. Yeah, I feel like going forward, we've been for years, we're used to three, four hour shows. And then when it's a a big, big show, man, some of these shows are six hours. I think SummerSlam was close to seven hours or something a few years ago. There was one of those big WWE events that were just really long. But I think we're going to see less long events and more short events on a regular basis, like these weekly runs like G1, where we're going to be here every day talking about shows that are more manageable to watch. And even still, it's still a lot because I've talked to some people and I've asked their opinions and some people just haven't had time to watch 
New Japan, like they're a few days behind. They're on last Thursday show or something like that. So I'll get uh, opinions coming at me, but they're from last week or from last night. So I'm kind of interested to see how everybody else has been watching this as well. Yeah. Have you talked to anybody, Carlos, like friends or like colleagues that have been watching the G1, but like they can only watch it in a certain way? Are they watching it live? What, what's your take on that? I, I think at the end of the day, I think what really kills the G1 as far as or really New Japan shows in general with U.S. fans is like they start really, really late or really, really early, depending on where in the U.S. you are. So there's going to be a certain group of people that for as much as they would love to watch these shows, like the commitment to it is just way too much to be able to just dedicate like two and a half hours to additional wrestling, especially once they go live early in the day. And I think we're still at a point where a lot of people are just going to be looking out for other people's opinions and see what the best matches are, what are, you know, what can, what to skip, what to watch. But I do think that there is a lot more intrigue with some of the upper echelon matches and shows in the G1 this year. Yeah. And I, I got to remember that there's one other big difference compared with last year. Last year, they were on Access TV still in North America. So we were getting, I, if I recall, it was something like a day or two after. The turnaround was really quick, I remember. But you were, they were getting the broadcast on a kind of a, like a regular time. I think it was any, sometime between 8 and 10 during the week or whenever the shows happened. And it had English commentary on them. And I think that... Um, that made things much, much, much easier for fans to commit to. Like, you don't have to invest all that much compared with if you're going to wake up at five in the morning on the East Coast. So. Yeah, and I still even it's still hard for even for me to just watch the shows live, which is why I just watch them like in spurts during the morning and during the afternoon when I'm much more awake and alert and be able to pick up on a lot of things that we're going to talk about today and and in past shows. I have to say for myself, I'm on the West Coast and I think the West Coast has it better in general. I I, because I've lucked out. I think one of the first G1 shows, it was day two. I think it started at like 10 p.m. Sunday, Sunday night. I mean, I thought that was really cool and kind of surreal. Like, wow, I'm watching New Japan live and it's not like outrageously past anyone's bedtime. It's just kind of like late night TV that felt cool. But again, on the East Coast, it's going to be like one o'clock. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We'll probably have more um, data to extract from once this is all over and we talk to more people. But anyway, we're going to get right into the show. The show itself was good, but. Like we were saying, I don't think there were any match of the tournament contenders, but there wasn't a bad match or even a, a match below average on this mat, uh, on this card. So the first match was another C-Block Young Lions battle. We had a draw, 15-minute draw between Yotsuji and Yuya Uemura, and we saw a lot of Boston Crabs in this, didn't we? Yep, it was... The Young Lion Special, I, I guess, is we we should call the the Boston Crab. It's not even the Boston Crab anymore. Just the Young Lion Special because we've been seeing them a lot on the on both the Japan and the U.S. shows involving Young Lions. That's right. 
So um, I think one of the most challenging things about the G1 cast this fall is trying to come up with newer things to say each day about these young lion matches without denigrating it. <laughs> it's like these matches, I, I swear everyone out there, they're all worth checking out if you wanted to, you know, but the, the, the changes between matches are so subtle that it'd be easier to watch and pointed things out play by play style instead of uh, a summary because the summary doesn't feel feels like we're cheating you guys out of uh, a full description but this again it was a lot of the same it was the way they, they wrestled in a realistic style they wrestled the high spots were not the high spots of 2020 they're more like body slams and power slams and boston crabs and single leg crabs I felt like I was at Red Lobster during this match. It was just crabs everywhere. <laughs> um, but I, I think this, okay, if you're going to check any of the matches out, uh, not excluding the Gabriel Kidd matches, I don't think he's been in a draw yet, but this and one of the other draws recently, these were really... Uh, yeah, it was Gabriel Kidd. Uh, Gabriel Kidd, uh, was it? Okay. Um, you got a Suji. Oh, okay. So then, oh, so then Suji is the only one who's been in two draws so far. Yeah, it's... Really interesting how, like, it almost felt like at first, um, it almost felt like at first that Yoda Suji was being like the more dominant young line out of the three that we've been seeing at the G1 tour. And now, every single time that we're seeing uh, Yuyo Uemura, it almost felt like he's the one now starting to pick up a lot of steam because he's now picking up wins over Gabriel Kidd. And he's gotten the last two wins over Gabriel Kidd were both almost in the exact same manner, you know, Boston Crab into a pseudo line tamer. And in this one, it this match had a really nice, simple story. I It almost felt like a detriment calling it a basic match, but it had like everything that you would need in like, you know, in a simple wrestling match without overbooking things. It had a nice slow pace, pretty much a lot of headlocks early on, but then you got, they upped the intensity, they upped the physicality and everything. And then now you kind of go into the end and it was a really, really cool finish where it's not, it was sort of more or less the same as the first draw where both Gabriel Kidd and Yota Suji were, were exchanging small cradles pins. But in this one, Yuya Omura was going for multiple small cradle pins and the time ran out just as Uemura seemed to have gotten that, that one cradle pin that was actually going to win him the match because Ref was counting to two, then the clock stopped, but Uemura still had the pin and Yotosuji was not going to escape. Like if it actually had gone to, um, to, I guess, like an overtime or they allowed it to go to three, Yuyo Uemura would have come out uh, as the victor. So now it almost felt like the story is Yuyo Uemura starting to be almost unbeatable where he beat Gabriel Kidd twice. He submitted Gabriel Kidd twice in their last two matches. And then and after losing to Yotosuji a couple of nights ago in just seven and a half minutes, they now go twice as long and in a draw and had a gun for like two more seconds, Uemura would have actually come out the victor. You know, if I was looking at this situation like a, like a close reading at college in an English class, looking at it and looking to extract something uh, like the story before the story, you're looking, we're looking at Tsuji and 
what I'm noticing about Suji, especially over the past few shows, one, he's not running to the ring anymore. He's trottling to the ring. Is trottling a word? That's what he was doing, though. He was definitely trottling. He was trottling to the ring. He was very... Uh, not a young lion. There, that's the first kind of hint or clue that something's different with Tsuji. And we're going to get to it later in the main event. But there was a little bit of something going on between Tsuji and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Did you notice that? Be, uh, a little bit during the match, but after the match when Tanahashi threw him the imaginary guitar. Did you catch that one? Yeah, yeah, and not only that, it, I don't know, to me, it almost kind of felt like a thank you, we'll, we'll discuss it later in the match, but mm. just really quickly, it almost felt like it was like a thank you because Yota Suji was the one that was spurring the crowd on when Tanahashi was down on the canvas in the late in the match, and then Yota Suji kept banging on the canvas and the crowd just like erupted into like a massive, you know, applause sessions that kind of helped spur Tanahashi on. <laughs> That was, I noticed that the same way you did too. And I noticed on the other side of the ring, on the right side of the ring, at least where the hard cam was pointing, you saw Gabriel Kidd, who wasn't right. supporting Tanahashi. And he was wearing, he was wearing a face mask. He's wearing a black one where Tsuji was wearing a white one. So there are all these little visual clues of like, hey, something's off, something's different. And it, does this thread tie to Tanahashi? Is this going to be I, I didn't catch the commentary I didn't catch all of it but they were definitely mentioning it a little bit but is something happening is something going on is it, it or am I just looking too deeply into it because I'm on a podcast about it eh, I don't know <laughs> either or I think it's something interesting to think about and at least if Tanahashi doesn't have anything to do with Tsuji's current path he's definitely on a path that's out of the way of the young lions, because like you said, Uemura looks like he's the top dog now, or he's being booked like it with that uh, modified lion tamer. And it looks like maybe him and Gabriel Kidd will be a more uh, at odds over the next few days while Tsuji is phased out and up into the main roster. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting to watch. Like, I thought for sure, like at first, Yota Suji was going to be the one that's going to be dominating the most. But now, halfway through, it's kind of like an open-ended field between Gabriel Kidd, Yota Suji, and Yuya Uemura. It's an ongoing story that we got to keep our eye on. It kicks off every show. So if you're going to try to watch live, um, at at least if you can catch like 10 minutes of this, I think that's worth it. And it's like I said, if you're on the East uh, West Coast... It's like 2.30. You can maybe make that match and maybe another A block match, B block match before you zonk out like I do sometimes. Sometimes, though. All right, let's take a quick break from the G1 cast with Justin Nipper and Carlos Toro. And let's talk about DoorDash. So one of the things that's pretty interesting is uh, my wife and I and the stepkids we're going to be moving. And one of the things I thought, we actually both thought about moving was like, where are we going to eat? Like, what's the local restaurant? You know, when you move from city to city or, you know, we're only moving a good 15 miles uh, up north or so, but still you go immediately, you think, okay, well, where's the store? Where's the grocery store? Where, where are the restaurants? And, uh, 
then I thought, well, we'll we'll learn them because we have DoorDash. We're going to be able to search for a certain kind of food or a certain kind of restaurant. DoorDash will pull it up. We'll learn all of the local restaurants in our new neighborhood. And that's the, that, that's really a key. You know, I use the word clutch with DoorDash a lot. You know, when you have so many choices and DoorDash can filter them down to a certain, uh, you know, vicinity of, of restaurants and, and can help you choose DoorDash is definitely the way to go. So um, going to be very interested to use DoorDash when we actually do move in, in a few weeks here. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code, code BLUEWIRE. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order just by downloading the DoorDash app and using it with the enter with the uh, code of BlueWire. So don't forget that's BlueWire for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Let's get back to Carlos and Justin. Anyway, okay. So that's that with the Young Lions match. Then the A block action started and we got a quote unquote match. Well, I mean, it was a match. It was just 18 seconds. So Hiro Kigoto beat Toriano, sorry all the Yano fans out there who are really sad. There are quite a few, I know that. They beat him in uh, 18 seconds with Modified Cradle. Did you get the, the name of this? Or I, I didn't I didn't get the whole uh, the whole skinny on that kind of cradle. But he cradled Yano up and that was it. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if there's like a proper name for it, but it was just... You know, they, you know, Yano handed, I think it was a towel to, to Hiroki Goto and Goto smartly throws it back at, at, at Yano's face and then hits the lariat then just pins him and wins the match. Like Hiroki Goto is the smartest wrestler in New Japan right now. Like he has done the one thing that no other wrestler in the G1 so far has been able to do and just not take any of Toriano's BS. Like, if you look, you compare Hiroki Goto and Juice Robinson, like, Juice Robinson accepted a t-shirt from Toriano, and then he turns his back and tries to wear it, and then he almost loses Toriano. And then you have the complete other opposite of the spectrum, and you have Hiroki Goto just saying, no, I'm going to win this match, and I'm just going to throw this at your face. I swear, if no other wrestler for the rest of the G1 is put in that same position. It doesn't do exactly <laughs> what Hiroki Goto says, uh, did. They're an idiot. <laughs> They're a complete idiot. Like there's no reason not to. Uh, you're 100% right. What can I say? It's logic rules. Logic is cool. Logic works. Logic is logic. Except logic pro. That's just software. <laughs> um, yeah. We've definitely went on like triple the time the the match itself went on. So I think we should just move on to the next match, which was awesome, which, right. which was I, I, I watched it last night and uh, I want to watch it again. But for some reason, Sonata and Zack Sabre Jr., every time they wrestle, it's I don't know why it's so good, but it was really, really good. And if you liked their match last year in Dallas, which I thought was great, I thought this was a little better. Maybe that's the recency bias, but boy, oh boy, that was really good. And Sanada won. 
and he's he's got the momentum. So this was his first match since the big win last Thursday. So is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yep. so he's on a a little winning streak. What did you think of this match, Carlos? Before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty about the match, I do really want to comment on the finish because this was a really, really cool finish. So Zack Sabre Jr. tried to have Sonata in a submission, and then Sonata switches that into a Dragon Sleeper, and then he deadlifts Zack Sabre Jr. onto the top rope, like almost just like he lifts him up and then just drops him onto the top rope like on on Saber's stomach. And then he, Sonata transitions it into a cutter. And then he goes for a top row moonsault and that's he, that's how he picks up the win. I thought that was a really, really cool sequence for a finish. And my God, that, that moonsault is really starting to pay dividends for Sonata in this G1 as of late. Okay, thank you for bringing the moonsaults up because there was something weird I noticed last night. For some reason, the commentary team wouldn't say moonsault. I don't. I don't think I've noticed that before. But last night they wouldn't. I didn't hear. They kept saying rounding body press. He hit the rounding body press. Yeah, yeah. that was. Uh, and and on New Japan and on the New Japan like results, they also say it's a rounding body press. Really? Okay, I don't. Does it like Keiji Muto get a trademark on Moonsault or something? But I, I don't know if that's gonna stick. If, if that's a that's a really, it's like one of those like cases where like you you hit you give like the name of the move, but it's just the explanation of the move, and it just makes the move like sound like either a lot more confusing or a lot less cool, or both. Yeah, or both. And it, I don't know whose idea it was, but it is it is not a cool name for such a cool move. I mean, whatever. I don't know whose idea that was. I don't <laughs> I don't get what's going on there. I I just found it odd. But aside from that, that's really nothing compared to the match cuz the match was awesome. And Yeah, the match was phenomenal. There was a lot of technical wrestling as you would expect in a Zack Sabre Jr. match, but Sonata was like more than willing to play ball with Sabre Jr. And I love the the mat wrestling that Sonata showcased against Zack Sabre Jr. It wasn't a case where like Sabre was carrying Sonata and that's why Sonata looked good. Like both of these guys held their own very, very well. And it all and like Sonata's so good that he made a mat and technical wrestling match against Zack Sabre Jr. like look like a believable 50-50 matchup. And the back and forth between the two of them it just was just really good the the crowd was into it the i love the now the idea that sonata is now really picking up a lot of steam heading in you know heading into the second half of the g1 because he he started out really really bad in terms of win loss records for the first few shows and then he got the win over tetsuya naito and now he gets the the win over Zack saber jr i'm curious to see how they're going to book him for the rest of the G1. Because, again, a- a- as I mentioned, they're going to put him in a match against Tetsuya Naito because he's the only one who's beaten Naito in the G1 so far. And Sonata doesn't really need any more wins for the rest of the tournament because they already got that program kind of booked. But now I'm thinking about it is 
maybe they want to book Sonata as strong as they can to further legitimize a short feud against Naito. Because I think a lot of us would, would kind of predict Naito would win that one if, they, if there was a match for both titles. But it wouldn't hurt Sonata to look really, really good for the rest of the G1. With Sonata, there's something there's something brewing. There's something cooking for him or with him. But I don't know which way it's going to go yet because we haven't uh, we haven't seen or or heard the full story. I think something with Naito is definitely on the table, but I don't think that story will be complete until the finals when Evil and Sonata finally showdown in a one-on-one match i think something will come out of that and it'll kind of lead us to wherever sonata is going and i have a feeling with his whole new uh, image change he might be on his way out of lij i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he went solo who knows we'll see that but i think it really depends on what's coming up which is I, that's great booking 101 you want to the only way we can find out what happens is we have to tune in next time. So, yep, pretty much. And I'm a big, and listen, I've said multiple times, I'm a huge Sonata fan. I think wrestling wise, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal worker, but it's always like something like just missing that you really cannot pinpoint as to why Sonata just was, is not able to just break into the upper echelon of New Japan. Uh, I'm sure it's a combination of things. It's a combination of timing of uh, what's going on with his character and angle, how he interacts in the ring, like how he is with certain wrestlers. I think him and Zack Sabre Jr. are like peanut butter and jelly. They're really, they need to, I think they need to really mm, expand on their rivalry. It's They kind of do it yearly in, in the, the cup tournaments like New Japan Cup or G1, but to me, and now I'm not, I want to use this analogy just for the match. I'm not using this to compare each wrestler. But what I mean to say is that this match and their sets of matches really reminds me of, if you're an ECW fan, the Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero sets of matches from like 94, 95, right before they went to WCW, it like including the two out of three falls match. I think the rhythm, the pace, and that kind of innovation to it too, like subtle innovation. It's not like, um, it's like fireworks, like Osprey and Ibushi doing the craziest stuff imaginable, but it's more like uh, just a, a development on what we've already been doing and kicked up to 200 miles per hour and kicking the athleticism up that high too. I mean, the one thing that sets those guys, Sonata apart from the other guys, is that that dude is a crazy athlete. I mean, that split leapfrog that he does, dude, it's like, it's, he could, I think he could dunk. Maybe he can dunk a basketball. I mean, I don't think he's that tall, but he can jump. So uh, that, that's what I think of when I think of Zack Sabre Jr. and, and Sanada. I think of, it's like a technical, technical mastery of 2020s wrestling and that they can jump right into it. There's no hesitation. It's just... It's it's kind of like uh, not exactly the same, but that we we're talking about Jose Zepeda yesterday, that beautiful boxing. It's beautiful wrestling. It, there's no mistakes. Everything they wanted to do, they pulled it off. 100 percent execution. Everything was cool. Everything felt good. 
to watch and you could really get into it in the moment and nothing like again no bs you're just in the match you're in the ring with them yeah couldn't couldn't agree more (laughs) i want to see more of that but moving forward there was a break after this and then we saw evil defeat juice robinson okay this was what i found weird not weird about it but when i looked at the results after i watched it this and the sonata zack saber jr match they were about the same length but this match felt so much longer compared with yeah. zack saber jr and sonata i was about to say that it almost felt like the, i don't i don't know if dragging on was the is the proper term but yeah does it it did feel like a little longer it does it, you know but when you go compared to sonata saber jr it was like those guys were like I, like I usually like said like a long time ago at the very beginning of this podcast is like they Sonata it, some of these matches they don't go 100 miles per hour like at their top they just go at a steady 80 miles per hour from start to finish I like that and here what I guess was different was just the style of matches was different compared with those back-to-back matches Sonata and Zack Sabre versus uh, evil and juice this match felt like i would describe it as more quote traditional or north american style pro wrestling match where the the flash was you know orthodox but everything looked great evil's evil and okada are master of like this style that i guess i'm referring to it's just everything that they do in the ring is intentional they pull it off if something goes awry they quickly smooth it over and it's more about the story and getting that well, with evil as a heel, just getting the other guy over. He never really deviates from his game plan. Uh, and I'm talking not in the kayfabe way, but more of like a, um, you know, like this is what he's meant to do. Or this is how I'm going to function here. I'm here to get juice over, but I'm also here to get everyone to boo me. I'm here to uh, make the match more dramatic that way. Dick Togo, too. Uh like it, yeah. So this match was good, but um, it just had a different flavor compared with the other one. I think maybe some people might like this one better than Sonata and Zack Saber. I don't know, but um, this was solid. Juice looked like or felt like a real baby face. How did Juice feel to you after this match? Because he lost, but I didn't feel like he lost anything in his performance. It was a good performance. It, it was, but the thing about this match, it was. I don't know. It, it, it reverted back into the old uh, Dick Togo doing a lot of interference in the match and getting involved in the finish. It was like you mentioned, it was a lot more North American oriented type of match, uh, which in, I don't want to say like this match following WWE structure just because Juice Robinson was a WWE guy because Juice Robinson has done about as good a job as any of completely shedding the WWE part of their wrestling and their persona and their career uh, heading into New Japan. But it did feel like it was something you'd see like in a interference heavy style type of WWE match. I, I'm not sure I to quite explain it all too well, but Dick Togo really has kind of just started to be like, in my eyes, the more dominant act uh, between Evil and, and Togo. Like, like you look at Evil's matches and all you can almost immediately think about is what did Dick Togo do? And he played like a large role in like 
from start to finish, like he was grabbing Juice Robinson's legs to prevent, you know, Juice Robinson from handing any more offense. And then, you know, evil distracting the referee and lots of low blows. That's which is how Juice Robinson lost, you know, Dick Togo, uh, you know, distracting referee, which allows evil to just go for a low blow and then i think it was um well ended up with everything is evil to pin juice robinson so he really did come across you know juice robinson came across as a really good baby face and he's great at that it was just a little bit you know not not very new japan style this felt more sports entertainment than traditional new japan wrestling yeah, I, I've been thinking about like the best way to to phrase it, because I feel like when I like what you're saying is how I feel too, like sport, quote, sports, entertainment, whatever. But I to be even more specific, I guess, about it, this is a match that's less rooted in like martial arts at all. You don't see any martial arts in it. You see or like simulation of martial arts. You see what you see based on. 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000 pro wrestling from the United States and Canada and Mexico to an extent too, um, where you're getting more of uh, the vocabulary is like a repeated. It's like it's this. It's the rip uh, like the standards. Like you're doing the moves that people have been doing the sequences that people have been doing for years because those are your that's your grammar. That's your grammar for the ring. That's what you're going to use in the ring. It's just. So a guy like Evil or a guy like Okada, I I look at them like craftsmen or like wordsmiths, whereas you look at Ibushi and he's more of an athletic genius space cadet guy. And that's how I'm kind of viewing both their characters. But I think I'm digressing. But yeah, to, to that point. Oh, and so your other point about um, uh, Dick Togo kind of overshadowing Evil, I... That's a good point. Although if you have, if you say that, then you have to say the same about Jay White and Gato. Cause I see both of those as like mirror opposites of each other, which I think we'll see sometime maybe next week. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I like, you have the two bullet club leaders and you have each of their parejas. You have each of their, their bosses or henchmen or whatever you want to call them. And in a lot of and their matches, the kind of way they wrestle or the way they're wrestling right now is kind of similar too. I think everyone is thinking of the uh, the famous Spider Man uh, picture with the two Spider Mans are pointing at each other. It's kind of like that. Yeah, in a sense, I do agree with you with the Jay White thing, but I think the difference between Evil with Dick Togo and Jay White with Gato is the fact that. Jay White and Gato have been together for a lot longer. So Jay White is able to have more familiarity working that kind of heelish style. And I think Jay White's a better performer in that role that would not necessarily allow Gato to just overshadow everything. And I think Evil is still kind of finding his footing into that because we've never really seen Evil at the main event level as a heel with a, a heel second so i think with jay white i think he's just more comfortable and better at this kind of stuff than evil is just still kind of working out the, the kinks we're only a couple of months into this evil dick togo partnership that's right and I, I i totally agree with you i feel like jay has that this part of his game mastered where evil 
Evil was kind of working on his own. He wasn't working as a wrestler with a henchman outside. He's kind of he's becoming a different kind of heel. So not that it, not to say that it's uh, bad or anything, just that Jay has, like you said, a lot more experience doing like the past two years. He's he's had time to play around in the ring and figure out what he needs to do. I think Evil just needs to do that and he'll be fine. All right. NBA Finals kind of right in smack dab in the middle of it major league baseball playoffs in the divisional round we have the nfl heading into week five perfect opportunity to jump on bet online to get in on all of the great bonuses the great props all of the betting that you can do from game spreads and totals to to all the different props, like I mentioned, um, and just you know, it's it's got to be like the the betters' dream right now with all of the things that they can bet on. And and I imagine if you if you are paying super close attention to stuff, uh, you know, you, you, if if you lose here or you lose there, you got another thing going on because there's you know, there's so much stuff going on. And if you are in the winner's chair. It's probably a good time to kind of get on a roll there with your bets. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's a blue wire, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. But um, that that was what it was. That was, and then we moved on to the uh, semi-main. This was uh this was something okay, it was Tetsuya Naito defeated Yoshihashi in what felt like this could be on any of the uh you know bi-monthly uh like road or I'm sorry, like a power struggle or wrestling Dontaku main events, you know, like not the main event of the year, but one of the main events of the month. This had that feeling and there was no irony. Yoshihashi was great. There were times where we almost felt like, is he really going to win with that butterfly? Especially during those butterfly locks. And I, I got to credit Naito because he was freaking awesome in this. Too. He was really good in this, too. Kudos to both. This was a very good match. And the one thing that I thought really looked, made George Harris look great was, I guess you could say Naito hit the Destino. But it was kind of like a counter into a Destino. And Yoshihashi kicked out, which is what really, really surprised me. The fact that they were able, they actually did that to uh, to Yoshihashi, which furthers elevated his status as someone who is, who really is starting to be taken more seriously. And I do kind of like the, I don't know if on commentary they ever mentioned this, because again, I don't speak Japanese, but I was reading an interview with that Naito did with New Japan. Um, and a kid's interviewer curious, it's on njpw1972.com. And the one thing that that Naito was talking about when it comes to Yoshihashi was the fact that he was starting to get all this praise now that he's a champion and now that he's getting a little more confidence, but it almost felt like he still hasn't reached that like that next level yet, that he wasn't the one who got the pin in that title match where he won the never open way six man titles. And he was going, and it almost felt like Naito maybe wasn't necessarily underestimating him, although you could say that. But Naito was kind of like maybe not taking Yoshihashi as a big enough of a challenge as one would think, which is 
kind of fair when you look at Yoshihashi's career, but Yoshihashi just brought the fight to Tetsuya Naito, and he really is starting to come alive as this like really good singles babyface, which I think is, and we've talked about multiple times, but this is really something that a lot of us are starting to realize that Yoshihashi can really go. You made a great point a few seconds ago about um, like the feeling that Naito didn't respect Yoshihashi's skill. And there was a great point in the early on in the match. I think it was when uh, Naito was thrown out of the ring. Yoshihashi went to dive on him. But before Yoshihashi could dive, Naito just kind of he coolly walked away. Muy tranquilo. He walked away, just kind of adjusted his T-shirt and Yoshihashi didn't dive out. He jumped out of the ring and followed him and turned him around and, and bat him in the face. And that little piece right there, that little, that's what I liked about Yoshihashi because I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't do that before, but he's addressing Naito's disrespect in the moment with a nonverbal way. And he's, he's getting back up and he's backing up that gimmick, that idea that he needs to keep struggling, keep scratching back, and he might have to, you know, come up from somebody behind and say, hey, look at me. I'm Yoshihashi. I got a stick. I'm Yoshihashi. Get back up. So, but it was great. And towards the end, it was really, really good. Yeah. The, the near fall that Yoshihashi nearly had on, on Naito, I, I could be wrong, but that might have been the best near fall in this entire tournament. Like, yeah, I genuinely believed that, oh, my God, N- Yoshihashi might actually have a chance of beating uh, Naito. I had that feeling in the evil match with Yoshihashi when we first started noticing, like, oh, what's going on with Yoshihashi? It, that was really good. And then, he, you know, he's continued that pattern. But that was... Once I recognized the pattern, I was kind of, I didn't get as excited, but I I was with you. I mean, it was definitely close, but in the back of my head, I'm like, he's the double champion. They're not going to, no way. Like, that's too, that's too much. I I couldn't, when I ran it through my head, I go, no freaking way is Yoshihashi winning this. Even if they're doing a full on rebrand of this guy's character, they're not putting him over Naito right now. Nonetheless, yeah. but there was, but it, but the match made a great job at make at elevating Yoshihashi into the next step as a wrestler. That some maybe someday down the line, where they do have a match, maybe it is a little less surprising that Yoshihashi somehow picks up a win over Tetsuya Naito. And respect to Naito too, because he gave a lot in this match. He was. It was a great performance. It was like a 24, 25 minute match. This is one. If you're, if you can't check out the whole show today, I would maybe skip to this one at first. This is really good. And especially if you're a Naito fan, this is a great Naito performance. And finally, I think this was my favorite match of the day. Uh, it was definitely Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated evil, evil Kenta, but not evil from Bullet Club. Just evil, like the adjective Kenta. Uh, yeah, Tanahashi and Kenta had a great match. Oh man, what did you like about this match? Remember when I said earlier that this match was uh, that some matches don't hit 100 miles per hour from start to finish, yeah, but they're like at a good 80 
and and it just goes at that nice crisp pace. Mm-hmm. This was about ninety five miles per hour <laughs> from start to finish. At- this match was. You were saying? Oh no! I, I was just gonna say ninety-five miles per hour for these two is like, like a lot, like a lot for these two. It, it, it's noticeable because these guys are not at ninety-five percent very often the past couple of years. No, and it was, and it goes back to the whole point I was saying. Like at the start of the G One, Tanahashi looks about as fresh as he as he's been in years because. The pandemic gave him months to rest, and when then when they when he came back, he was ma- primarily working as the tag guy, which you don't see a whole lot out of Hiroshi Tanahashi. So that certainly helped his body rest. Kenta has really come alive in this G1. I think part part of it came from the fact that he was doing matches in the United States that kind of helped shake off the ring rust a little bit. This was. Really, really damn good. We kind of mentioned this like earlier in the show about how it was a lot of back and forth, and then Yota Suji was just, you know, spurring the crowd on. Like the crowd was really into this match, and there was never a moment where like you saw Kenta as the guy who just, yeah, he's gonna lose to Tanahashi. No, you know, that's kind of a given. This was like a 50 50 match from the beginning, and Tanahashi, man, I, I we mentioned this like in the Naito match, but Tanahashi's like cross body is about as perfect as you can possibly get in this wrestling business. Because there was a moment like sort of late-ish in the match where he just hit that, that cross body and he lands it absolutely perfect. And it was just, man, this guy, Tanahashi is at a completely different level, even at his age when he's healthy this was really really good and there were moments where kenta it was he almost hit the gts on tanahashi and tanahashi manages to land just but like manages to just escape and then he goes for a high fly flow but instead of going for the pin he goes in for the texas cloverleaf where my god it was I gotta say, the camera work was absolutely fantastic. Like you saw, like the camera was just focusing on Tanahashi and just his upper body. And then he yells out, Kenta! <laughs> and then the camera pans below and Kenta's like neck is like at a 90 degree angle compared to his body. Like it was one of the most brutal Texas Cloverleaves that I've seen Tanahashi do in a very very long time. This was just an awesome match. Yeah, I had uh, I don't want to say cinematic quality, but there were definitely moments where you kind of wanted to freeze frame the screen and go, "Wow, that's really cool." Like I remember one shot, I don't know what it was, but I think the cameraman had he was resting on the apron and Tanahashi was in the corner, kind of in the front foreground in the in the right corner, and you saw Kenta looking like a tennis player or a soccer player kind of crouched over. He was about to run and uh, kick Kenta or sorry, kick Tanahashi in the face. But it, that whole that moment is just cool. They're they're good at capturing those little action moments. I think they could use these for you know future reels going forward. There's a lot of cool shit and that uh, cross body block, the high fly flow that you mentioned. I know exactly the moment you're talking about because what impressed me so much about that was I didn't think Kenta really 
had a chance to look over at what was happening and Tanahashi had already jumped into the air anyway, but he landed, he stuck it perfectly. I don't know how he does it. And it's not like, it's, it's more like, how does a ballet dancer twirl around a bajillion times do it or, or an ice skater and they flail around and they're doing all the triple axle, axle, whatever. And they land perfectly. It's in, I'm not saying it's the same, but I'm saying it's in the same uh, level of expertise and greatness and skill. Uh, I don't know how the hell he does it. It's just, it's craftsmanship. It's pure wrestling craftsmanship. He's like, it's like, eat your heart out, Ricky Steamboat, dare I say. But good Lord, whew, Tanahashi, he was great. Also, I want to make one mention, Carlos, what did you think of Kenta's air bass? There was some air bass playing. It's pretty sweet. You know what? Solid eight out of ten, I do have to say. <laughs> I want to see more of it, though. I'm waiting for somebody to overdub it with the Seinfeld theme. <laughs> I think that would be really good. I never thought about that, but now I kind of want it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be on Botchamania within the next couple weeks. I hope so. But, hey, you never know. <laughs> I, I, Shout out to Matthew Gray. Oh, for sure. I, I've... Some of the hardest times I've ever laughed in my life have been at some of those early botchamanias. Like I was in the, uh, we'll save that for another podcast. Anything with Scott <laughs> Steiner from back in the day, I was just, you know, it's in absolute stitches. No simpy for you. We'll save that for another day. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And this was another match. I- I'm interested in this stat. Maybe we can talk about it tomorrow, but I don't know the last time Tanahashi won a match with the Texas Cloverhold. He was using it kind of regularly for a while. There were always some uh, like angles where he would use it sometimes as a counter to like, I think he was using it during a little mini feud with Suzuki a couple of years ago when Suzuki, like, yeah, he work broke his knee or do you remember that? It was right after uh, one of the, Right. Yeah. I, I do vaguely remember that. Like that was a very short feud, but the Matt they kind of think was pretty good for the most part. Oh yeah. It was definitely cool. And I remember him trying to use the Texas Clover hold more. He brings it out uh, when he's wrestling somebody specific or somebody who's more of like a submission artist or something like Kenta. And I, I'm curious as to when he last used it, but it says what then that he used it today means he only uses that offense for a special opponent, which makes Kenta a special opponent, which elevates Kenta in the eyes of all of us, I think. On top of the fact that he had a hell of a performance, like either way it was going, his stock was going up. But um, yeah, Kenta, he, he likes being a heel, I think. I think he relishes this role. I think he enjoys doing whatever he wants. I love when he just rolls out to the ring and screams boo at the audience. Uh, he's, uh, there's something it's like not authentic, but like I've heard people speak that way before. Like it, and he's doing it in his own way and it's, it's cool. Like, eh, I'm still figuring out exactly what it is, but I liked it. And today's main event was not the best of the tournament, but okay. How about this, Carlos? If you had to choose between yesterday's A block and today's B block matches, what would you say of the Monday, Tuesday wars? 
what was the best G1 match of the of the past two days? For me, I would say Tanahashi and Kenta, I think. Yeah, I would say Tanahashi Kenta was the best match, although I do have to say probably my favorite match was Sonata versus Zack Sabre Jr. Ooh, yeah, that's that's really good too. But I want to throw Taichi and Ishii in there as well. I would throw that right at the yes. top. Yes, I would say it's a good like number three, number four on my list uh, between the two shows. They, they really had a good match. I'm still like struggling to process that. And we have a lot more to process like soon. So no time for that. That's why we're podcasting. We do it for posterity. We'll do it for the future. But um, yeah, on that note, we're going to be back tomorrow or today, wherever you are and whenever you're listening to it. But we'll be on day 11. Uh, Carlos, do you have the lineup for day 11? Yes, I do. So tomorrow, uh, October 7th, Hiroshima Sun Plaza Hall. We got Yota Suji versus Gabriel Kidd, a rematch from their 15-minute time-limited draw of uh, a couple of shows ago. Then we go to Tomohiro Ishii versus Yujiro Takahashi, followed by Kazuchika Okada and Jeff Cobb. Then Will Ospreay versus Minoru Suzuki, which is a match that I've been... From the very first podcast, I said this was the match I really am interested in. Then the semi-main, Taichi versus Jay White, and then the main, Coach. Ibushi versus Shingo Takagi. So potentially lots of really good matches from top to bottom. Do we have a possible match or matches of the tournament candidates on this card? Man, like before the tournament, probably maybe we would have said Okada, Jeff Cobb. But Okada hasn't had like that super stellar G1 that we're so used to seeing from him. I could definitely see that with Kota Ibushi and Shingo Takagi. Like that match... Has all the makings of being something really special because Kota Ibushi has been phenomenal in this G1. Shingo Takagi is always there to give us a phenomenal match. I think I could see this match going 25, 26 minutes. Oh, I'd love that. I, I I feel the same way, although just to throw it out there, I think we also had expectations for Ibushi and Osprey. And speaking just for myself, I wasn't I wasn't completely I didn't think they went all the way and I, I thought I don't know what I expected I'm still kind of processing that match too from yesterday so whatever your expectations may be I think it's just going to be really really good regardless and I think what you what you said earlier Carlos is that Shingo Takagi has already proven he's ready to go like he's and he's had a dark horse kind of run in this G1 as well I mean, I can't think of any bad matches he had. I mean, he just had a match with Yujiro Takahashi, and we were talking about that might have been Yujiro's best match of the tournament. So we'll have to yeah, see tomorrow. It'll be, be fun to watch. So stick with us. We'll be with you for a couple more days. We're rounding the bend. So for Carlos, I'm Justin. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>